Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 8, Meridian. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely. And as I say every week, you should find us and follow us because... We're awesome. And that's really all I'm going to say because I've been saying it every week. And by now, you should know that we are awesome. And if you go to the YouTube channel, you will find new content added pretty regularly now. We're moving right along with all that. And there's a lot of uh, basically fire caves after dark stuff that's going to be coming. That's going to be talking about everything that's just not just Star Trek, but pretty much all the sci-fi stuff that we're interested in. And right now, our fixation is The Expanse. So if you have any interest in that show at all or the book series, please check us out and let us know what you think in the comments. Mm, yeah. But tonight, for right now anyway, we're here to talk about, again, Season 3, Episode 8, Meridian. David, would you like to give us our quick recap? I can do that for us. Alrighty, guys, so we have two plot lines in this episode. We have the plot line with Kira on the station, and the plot line following Cisco and uh, Dax on a new planet in the Gamma Quadrant. So let's start with Kira. Uh, Kira is enjoying some coffee with Odo when a patron of Quark's, Tyrion, shows up and says he regretted that she had left the night before from Quark's right when he was trying to get to know her better. Kira clearly is uninterested in him, and in an attempt to get him to go away, she claims that Odo is her lover and uh, has Odo try and join her in expressing affection for each other to get him to go away. Clearly upset, Tyrion goes to um, Quark and says that he is not enjoying the Hollow Sweets. He wants Major Kira and will pay handsomely for Quark to get a hollow suite made where he can have Kira in a hollow suite. Quark, wanting money as always, and seeing as how Tyrion, Tyrion is willing to pay handsomely for it, tries throughout the episode to find ways to get Kira, uh, to get a, a hollow suite version of Kira working. So let's go ahead and knock out this part of the episode. Um, Quark tries multiple ways to get uh, Kira to come to the Hollow Suite and be scanned so he can make a Hollow Suite version of her. Uh, for example, he pretends that she's the one millionth customer and gives her free champagne and free Dabo chips and a free hour in the Hollow Suites. But she hates the Hollow Suites. She doesn't want to go to the Hollow Suites. So he tries taking pictures of her with the Hollow uh, Hollow Recorder. But Odo notices what he's doing, and so they confront him, and uh, Kira says, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to take pictures of me. Uh, if you try again, I'm going to throw your little device right out. Um, so Cork is desperate. 
uh, he tries going into the recordings of uh, Kira, her personal information, well, we and to tries to figure out right what exactly is going is on there. In, um, uh, to help shore things tries up a little to find bit while he's getting situated, because we are finding right, that, of course. Um, finds, I'll just go ahead and finish well, up. Well, he does find out. it, but Kira Basically, and Odo is trying to get a hollow doing, image of Kira so for. They confront him. Oh, sorry, David. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear me or not, but you're cutting out. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. Yeah, I will have to restart that. Sorry about Welcome that. Welcome back. Yeah. Welcome back. No, it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. But hey, it's it is what it is, and since we're live, these are the technical difficulties that we have to deal with sometimes. So you know, we'll just carry on. Okay, we'll just go for it. All right. Do you want me to continue, or do you want to continue the episode recap? Oh, I was yeah. I'll, I'll knock it out for us real quick. Um, so as David was saying, Tyrion is trying to get a uh, hologram, a hologram program built around Kira and being able to basically do whatever he wants to do to her in the holodeck. He's conscripted Quark to do it because he's super rich and Quark is super greedy. So Quark is now trying to find different ways to get Kira to into the holodeck to, to scan her. He, as David said, he tries to award her as his one millionth customer and get her in there so he can get a scan. That doesn't work. He tries to access her medical records and he gets pretty much everything he needs except for a physical image of her. And um, he later is seen on the holiday, not on the holodeck, but on the promenade trying to take a picture of Kira to get her um, again for this program. All of this is, of course, thwarted by Odo, who's always keeping tabs on him. And they they finally realize what it is he's trying to do, and um, they thwart his plans by sabotaging the program that he's built, making a composite program where it is a, a woman's body, but it's Quark's head instead. Of course, Tyrion is um, um, upset, to say the least, and he storms out, promising to ruin Quark for not delivering on uh, the goods. Meanwhile, we have Cisco, Bashir, O'Brien, and Dax on this planet called Meridian that really did just appear out of nowhere. And uh, upon investigation, they find a small colony that's living there, and these people who exist for a very short time in our realm in corporeal space. Um, the rest of the time, the next 60 years or so, is spent in a non-corporeal state in another dimension. They right. decide to... The people on the planet, though, they want to stay in their humanoid form for longer. So they start to investigate to figure out what's going on, what's causing the planet to shift back and forth, and also why the time seems to be going shorter. They said at one point it was almost an equal split, but now it's only 12 days, and then the planet will shift back for another 60 years. They are able to determine what the issue is, and but, but even though they're able to solve the problem, it will still require the planet to shift one more time before their fix will take effect, which means that once the planet shifts again, they'll be gone for 60 years. Now, this is only a problem because during this time of them working with them, Dax has become quite close to one of the individuals on the planet, a man named Dural, right. whose wife has died, he's a widow, and he's trying to kind of rebuild his life. They've taken a, a liking to each other. She's fallen in love with him. And so he has decided to leave the planet and go and be with her. But then, of course, over time, he's 
really kind of conflicted about leaving, wants to stay and help his people. So Dax decides to basically go on the longest sabbatical in Starfleet history and stay with him in non-corporeal space for 60 years and then come back and, you know, live and resume her life again, presumably. Right. Um, everyone's kind of sad about her going, you know, and they want to make sure that this, this is what she really wants. Once they're sure, everybody agrees. They help her uh, fix her body so that she can shift with uh, the planet when it does. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work. We're not really told the full extent as to why it doesn't work, but I think it has something to do with the symbiont inside of her since it's a separate life form. And that's always been my speculation anyway. Um, right. So the the shifting begins on the planet, but Dax acting like an anchor in our realm, stopping the planet from fully being able to shift. So the planet is still trying to, and it's about to shake itself apart, and she's dying because, again, the planet is shifting, so the air, the ground, everything is disappearing, so she's got nothing to breathe, nothing to stand on, and so forth. Um, right. But, of course, just last minute before she officially dies or whatever, um, Cisco and company are able to beam her back up to the Defiant, and right. she's saved, but she's sad. And that's essentially the episode. Wow. Great summary. So... You, bam, knocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta will... break it up. I figure our, our back and forth sometimes between A and B plots messes us up. Yeah, yeah. This one actually lends itself really well to a quick summary, I, think, I would say. I don't feel like there's many details we have to remember. Um, or at least uh, we can we can recap those as we talk about the episode. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I start with the same question as always, David, since you are our first time viewer of Deep Space Nine. What did you think of this episode? Well, first off, I'm glad it's a Dax episode, for crying out loud. <laughs> um, however, I do feel like this love relationship, well, it's, uh, two things. First off, every time we go and visit another planet with a culture on it i'm always waiting for the dystopia to appear these people are going to have some messed up society it looks pretty and perfect on the on the outside but when you scratch the surface there's some ugly thing underneath that is not what happens here this is not the case here it just turns out there's this unfortunate scientific thing going on that's causing the people to disappear for 60 years along with the planet and it comes back and they're all happy and normal there's nothing wrong and so that means that there is no there's no conflict in the like outward physical sense there's no physical conflict this is an emotional you know connection and in fact things seem to be going fairly well until the last minute Dax can't go on the trip basically she's kept from you know being transported to this alternate dimension with everyone else. So I like the fact that it, it did defy my expectations, but I also was like, gee whiz, Dax. I mean, you just met this guy. <laughs> like both of them were ready to just jump into the other uh -huh. person's life. Like after having known each other for like 36 hours, 48 hours, I felt it was yeah. real fast. Yeah, what do you it think? does seem extremely. It, you no, know, you're right. It does seem extremely fast, and I mean, it's it, even the suspension of belief here is ruined for us because we know the timeline. We know that Meridian shifts back in 12 days, and that the crew happened upon the planet on its first day, shifting back into our 
um, our realm. So we know that it's only been, yeah, at a max three days, and these two are already ready to give up their respective lives for each other. Right. Um, normally, when we see the characters kind of fall in love with someone or whatever, we they don't really give us a timeline. We can't really pace, you know, is this been just a day? Is this a week? Like where in the whole storyline is this? Right. And I think that kind of helps us sometimes in other stories. Whereas with this one, yeah, they definitely gave us a very, you know, clear window here right. for when this could happen. And it just seems, um, well, not believable. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's just like, like you said, it's a Dax episode and it's, it's one of those situations that because of her status as a joined species and you know how many lifetimes she's had where she's probably had countless romantic, you know, you know, partners and whatever else throughout all of those different lives. I mean, I think maybe that's another reason why they thought that the story would work better with her than with anyone else, because she's lived through it and her experience so many times that she kind of recognizes maybe a certain pattern and it it makes this easier for her to fall into love with someone than it would right. be for us. Right. Um, and also, this is the first time that it's Jadzia Dax that's in love, not Curzon, not Tarias, not any of the other of her former hosts. Right. It's her. This is her first romantic experience. Right. So that's a distinction, too, that we have to always consider with this one. Right. Yeah, I mean, this episode clearly is uh, focusing on the romantic angle of things. Kira is being pursued by an admirer that she doesn't like, while Dax is being pursued by one she does like. Uh, actually, I should we should go ahead and quickly talk about Odo at the beginning of this episode. I was going to say, yeah, is, Odo, is, we get a little... Uh... Yeah, I mean, you had mentioned that in that one episode, which I'm trying to remember now, which one... Oh, it's the one where um, she admits to Odo... I think that she loves um, Beryl. Um, yeah, isn't that right? Where she, she was interested when she was first noticing, yeah, first stating her interest in Beryl. And he does the and quick how. look up. Like, he's surprised. And you said that people think that that's the moment where, like, the love triangle, Odo, Kira, love triangle kind of really comes up for the first time. Oh, no. It was wasn't that? there. It's. It, I mean, you're right about that. Like that was one of the things. But the first time is in the episode that we watched, where um, uh, it was the noir episode where Odo was investigating the murder, and uh -huh. uh, or yeah, he was investigating. Remember, in Court, Court got shot, and she was in the past, and he and she had never told him about her involvement. And in his office, when she finally came clean to him about her full involvement with everything else, it was okay. in that moment there was this particular look that people were like, oh, it's clear he's got uh, some kind of thing for her. Right, because so, she's admitting yeah, that, that she's was, been lying to him, or at least lying by omission for all this right. time. Right, and he, was, and he was more devastated by that than he was by anything else right. that he had uncovered through his investigation. So everybody was like, yeah, that's the moment that we kind of saw there was a little bit of a spark. Right. And then you're right, the other one when she was, you know, talking about Beryl and everything, and we see his uncomfortability, which is supposed to be read as he's just uncomfortable with relationships in general, but because it's her, it's different. Right. And then now we're seeing here with him suddenly being put on the spot and having to pretend to be uh, the love interest here sweetheart. and his reaction, right? <laughs> the way he says sweetheart was just hilarious because he doesn't look at Kieran and says it. He looks at T Tyrion 
and says sweetheart after she says it to him. Mm. <laughs> you can tell he's like, I mean, I'm saying it because picks... I'm supposed to. But, yeah. Well, no, he picks up on it pretty well, I feel oh, like. Right. I, mean, yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I but... think he plays it. I think he plays it okay. Well, it's just but so yeah, funny he, so he was directly says it at Tyrion. It's just, mm. <laughs> he's uncomfortable, but like he's not running away from it. He's going for it in his own yeah. way. Uh, that's an Odo, very Odo way to to to, to go with that situation. Um, which was and then when hilarious. Kira departs, and then when Kira departs, you know she thanks him and everything else, but then she leaves, and um, Odo is just kind of still sitting there, and he's you know kind of contemplating the exchange that right. just happened. So again, you get these little inklings that you know there is something more to that, at least for him, right? Than um, what we initially see going on, right? So overall, I would still rank this as an enjoyable episode. Like you can find things about it to enjoy, but there's also some some um, missteps that don't kind of give it the full dramatic impact that perhaps we would have appreciated in a story like this featuring some other characters. Right. Um, of course, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm always thinking about the episode Second Sight, which featured Cisco in his first love interest with Fena and that whole situation, you know, I think that was a bit more poignant for a first time love interest, especially coming out of the Cisco story of him being a widower and him trying to, you know, move on with his life a bit. And uh, he finally meets this woman that is the ultimate in unattainable. I mean, she doesn't even really exist. Just in that, uh, her own <laughs> yeah. body, you know? Right. Yeah. So, no, um, that's true. <laughs> And I mean, Dax, it's, I mean, think about along. it. It's very, it's very <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. think about it. It's very similar. I mean, Dax also falls in love with a person whose body won't exist for 60 years. You know, another non-corporeal entity here, <laughs> you know. So, um, and it, just stuff like that that I, you know, I like seeing those kind of parallels, I guess, with the other shows. But then there are other things that I feel like are missteps which take you out of the episode. And I don't know if you notice any of these, but in particular, I'm talking about the whole setup of the colony of Meridian. When you were seeing that that scenery, you know, the the classic Star Trek frame where, you know, you see the the landscape and a building or anything like that. When you saw any of that, did it um, strike you as familiar? Well, it looks like a golf course, but it, just, it seems like you're indicating something a little more direct. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that scenery, we've seen it a few times before. So if you if you think about it, you probably remember. Um, but the first time that we saw it was actually in the um, um, Next Generation episode where they featured, do you remember the whole thing with Data wearing the masks and it was Masaka's temple and everything like that. Oh, anything the like sun that. one? The... Yeah, where the sun is chasing the weird moon, the whole hunter thing. Yeah. And, and parts of the Enterprise are being turned into and different Picard things. And has to chase data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so. Okay. So so the um, outer image in the hall that they're in, the, or, yeah, someone's, I don't know if, how to properly describe this here, but where they walk in and Cisco is standing and he's talking with the council leader and there's kids playing everything like that. That whole area was used in that Masaka's temple setup. Okay. okay. But to, for a bit more recent, we saw this same area just redressed in Klingon getup for 
the house of Cork when Cork had killed <laughs> accidentally the Klingon and had to go and defend um, Grilka and her family. And Cork. yes, and then we saw it before that in season two when the infamous Klingons Kang, Koloth, and Kor came to the station. Okay. This was the albino's lair where they all fought and eventually, you know, that was the first Dax episode that we got. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Not the first Dax episode. It was one of the It was first. the second one. Yeah. I was saying it was, mm-hmm. it was the second one. Yeah. Yeah. So they heavily use this backdrop. They changed a couple of things here and there, like for the albino's lair, for example, it doesn't have like the steep point you know it was more flat and then they had put like a row of stairs in there i think instead of leaving it open but the walls on the side are the same and then also the outer structure they use when they show us the landscape of everything all that's the same they just kind of remove some trees here and there but all that like the mountain in the back is the same where the city the colony all of that is the same all of it so yeah star trek heavily reuses a lot of things here. Is this a set they reuse or like a location that they go to a lot? So the location in whenever they're doing like the woodwork, you know, like um, and when I, when I say woodwork, I mean the forests. Um, the forest and all that kind of stuff in the in the park and the pavilion that they walk through, all that is used multiple times. That was something that was done at um, the Walt Disney Studios in California, out in Southern California. So we will see that area again. A right. lot. Um, um, but then uh, the rest of the set stuff, the interiors, all that stuff is built for, has been built for Trek and has only been used for Trek. It was used again in Next Generation and then they brought it over to uh, Deep Space Nine. It's almost exclusively featured in anything Klingon. Um, and then I think it was used like maybe once or twice in Voyager, but Voyager, because Voyager only did like Klingon things like maybe, you know, like two times. Um, but yeah, it's, that was pretty much it. That was pretty much all it was used for after that. So okay. they, they get some longevity out of their stuff. It's built to last. I'll give them credit for that. <laughs> they find some clever ways to continue to use the things cutting their budgets, but, um, yeah, you know, yeah, some too. of it, some of it bleeds through and yeah, it, it probably, yeah, had to, and you probably got away with it back then because, the, the way that syndication worked and you didn't have all the streaming platforms, you could watch episodes back to back to back and notice those kinds of things. And right. um, but now, yeah, now it's just like, nope, nope. Well, we see that matte painting you used here. <laughs> well, again, for me, as I said, when you were first asking, like when uh, Dax and her friend, dear, dear, something with a D for his name at the moment. But anyway, when they Durant. were, Dural, that's it. Um, when they were going out and climbing the tree, it looks like a golf course. <laughs> I was like, this is a well-manicured part of land. Like, I, I don't believe in any way that this was a – well, I mean, if the idea is this is a, like, paradise planet, okay, fine. I guess it's part of it. But it came off as a little too perfect, frankly. Too nice. When right. he said, like, I'm going to build a house right there, I was like – well, I mean, that place is as good as any because literally you could build a house anywhere and they're beautiful no matter where you put it. Um, and when, like, he pulls the grapes from the, the pond and I was like, are they really going to eat grapes from the pond? But then, like, the camera angle switches and they eat the grape. And I'm like, oh, okay, they just pretended to pull it out of the water because, like, is there bacteria in the water? Like, I don't know. This is, I guess this really is a utopia. You can just eat food out of a f- pond. Um but anyway, I mean, 
for me, it felt. Well, yeah, a little, that was a redress. Yeah, it felt. I was thinking about it. I was like, one of our common complaints is like, the episode should be a two-parter. It should be longer. And that's yeah. just how I feel about this relationship. Like, I, I want to believe it on some level because I like Dax as a character. I want her to, you know, have more stories. Why shouldn't she be able to meet someone and have a romantic interest in them? It just feels really short and kind of forced. And again, he's willing to join her. But then all of a sudden, he's like, <laughs> she's giving. He backpedals. Yeah, he's talk. She's telling him about the the game. I forget which, not Dabo. Was it Dabo? Tongo. Tongo. So talking about Tongo, she has his head in her lap, and she's like massaging him and talking about Tongo. And then she's like, "Oh, you're not listening to me, are you?" He goes, "Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about everything." And it's in that moment that I'm like, "This is why you don't just run off with the first person you fall in love with because that initial infatuation wears off. And even if he is still yeah. serious about the relationship." As soon as his mood changes, if she wasn't the type that could like go along with that and was upset by her being ignored, that could destroy the relationship. Or who's to say that he right. doesn't get more easily distracted in a week or two? Um, and then, again, as you point out, he's backtracking. I mean, he had just been up at the ship saying, I'm ready to and, leave. And I totally agree. Right. And then right. there he is kind of backtracking. And then she immediately flip-flops. And she's like, well... What if I stayed, which she'd already offered in the previous scene, but then he's the one who wants – it's like now we're just flip-flopping it. And so we need to change her her matrix, her quantum matrix. And so we do some off-screen razzle-dazzle. takes six hours for her to get her matrix reorganized, and she's now staying. And somehow her being on the planet causes her to be an anchor, and so the, the planet and everyone else are not able to shift away – because she's there but like i have so many questions i'm like okay well if he was willing to leave the planet why isn't everyone willing to leave the planet as opposed to just staying there and eventually dying (laughs) yeah there's i mean there's you're absolutely right like once again this it lends itself so much to the phrase this should have been a two-parter um this episode to me feels more in line with an original series episode there was a lot less of explanations of the science and a lot more of the whimsy and romanticism of space travel. Right. That was how a lot of those episodes were done. Right. We're, we're explorers. This is all brand new to us. And we're just so overcome in the moment, you know, Kirk was falling in love with somebody every week. You know, that was yeah. kind of the whole, his yeah. whole gimmick, you know? Yeah. Curzon also and, falls in love every other week. But but yeah. Chauncey, it doesn't. Yeah yeah yeah. Right, you know, and and it's, with a with an original series episode, we would not have had to worry so much about the explanations as to, you know, the shifting of the planet and trying to explain it. Basically, Spock would have came in and very eloquently explained why the planet shifts and that, and also why, you know, Kirk couldn't give up command to go off with whatever woman it was he had fallen in love with and it would have been heartbreaking and they would have played that soft 60s music and the soft lighting and all the things you know but we would not have had to sit through the weird moments where we're like wait a second like like he just said he was going to come with her and now he's not like none of that would have happened you know um so yeah i feel like they were they there was an attempt 
and then they they definitely fell short. They did not overshoot at all in this one. They fell short. Um, at least on this particular storyline, which I always found so interesting because this is the A storyline. This one should have been given the most in the in terms of like development, and I feel like it wasn't. And in fact, our B storyline is way more interesting and fun yeah. than what we're getting out of the A. So right. I thought that was a, a strange way to play it in this right. one. Before we, we move on and talk about the B one, I just wanted to say yeah. that the actor, Brett Cullen, who plays um, Darren, Daryl? What is it? Dural. Dural. Sorry about that. Um, I like him as an actor, in particular because he's an actor who has a small part to play on Person of Interest, which is, again, my favorite show. Um, he uh, appeared in, like, Apollo 13, stuff like that. So as an actor, I like him. Um, and when he first shows up and he's talking with John Zia and he's asking, do all the spots – do the spots go all the way – like, how far do the spots go? He's asking about her spots on her, and she goes all the way down. I'm <laughs> like – I mean, this episode was the most charged episode yet. <laughs> we got Kira oh, yeah. talking about Odo being her yeah. lover in order to get another guy off of her, and that guy wants a hollow sweet version of her, and he insinuates that he doesn't want just her for like a sexual reason. Like, I don't think he was going to be nice to her in the hollow sweet, frankly. Oh, you know, um, see, that was the part of it that really creeped me out because I didn't yeah. think about it at first, but then I hear in the dialogue, I thought the same thing. I was like, Okay, there's obviously supposed to be some kind of sexual component to it, but then the way he was just so adamant about it, I was like, no, he's going to do terrible things to her. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it really makes you just, kind of I, hate Quark a bit. You're like, dude, even it if. It made the, me hate. It made me hate hollow technology. Like, I immediately oh, was thinking, yeah. I was like, you know what? Like, I wonder how many depraved sickos go into holodecks and just make characters for them to murder you know like well, just it's I mean, awful there's the tng character uh, i forget his name at the moment but the guy barkley who's kind of, that's it barkley and barkley. he makes all of the main cast into his sycophants and all the women love him mm. and riker is a short little little guy and stumpy little troll guy eager to right. please jumping around yeah. yeah how much further would it have been for him to take the character you know caricatures of people we know and do terrible things um yeah. yeah, but this guy, he's like, I got money. He says to Kira, um, she says money doesn't, uh, money isn't everything, but the guy says, but money does buy everything. And yeah, but money can buy you everything. That's yeah. what he says. And I thought he was so. going to try and like find a way to buy her in a sense, like not not the, not the physical picture, not the physical form mm. of her, but try and find something to 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 kind of work her. You know, there's something you want, I can get it for you. And in some ways, that would have been interesting. What is there something out there Kira really wants? That there's a monetary thing that she would want. But that's not where the episode went. Um, but yeah, you're right. The second, this, that storyline is more interesting. Quark is always a fun it, character, so anything with he Quark. Re- he really it. is. And I mean, it's just like finding, just when you think he can't go any lower. He finds a way. And then it's weird how he finds a way to almost make it endearing. Like when the guy pays him and he's, you know, he's asking him what he wants and everything. And the guy leaves. He's like, the things I'll do for money. I'm just like, I just want to shake you because it's right. awful. Yeah. But then, yeah, he's the links that he goes through and he's getting so annoyed and Odo's standing in his way and doing all this stuff. And he's flipping out, trying to get this picture of Kira and, Ultimately, I like that they didn't try to 
arrest him or anything like that, even though I feel like he should have been arrested. I mean, he broke security protocols to get her voice print, her oh, but it was the DNA sample ever. and everything else. Right, but instead, yeah, <laughs> yeah T- Tyrion storms out and he goes in and there he is, you know, Quark's head on her body. Uh, great stuff. Great bit of payback there. Right, right. Yeah, and I love how Quark, Quark is a great character because he's always so inventive. His reason for taking a hollow suite picture of Kira when they're in the, in the, on the promenade is that people want to go to the hollow suites and pretend to be on some great battle on behalf of the defense of the station. And they want to be sure that they can you know, see you there when they're doing it. They want it as real as possible. Like, Quark is able to think on his feet. I mean, we know this about him, but it's always fun to see him do so. He's a character who is well, always... Well, of course... Always the skeeziest manipulators are always able to come up with a lie that quick, and he proves to be the best of them. I, I mean, he spins that off so well, and I was like, you know what? He's got a point. Because, I mean, thinking about it from our standpoint, I mean, that's essentially what we want to do anyway. We want to recreate these characters, these battles, these whatevers, and kind of like be, you know, side by side with them or whatever. That's what that's what video games essentially are, you right. know, to a degree. You know, that's just the, the holodex is kind of a, obviously a, fantastical outward progression right. uh giant step forward in that same vein but yeah i mean that's what it would be just think about it when if and when that technology ever becomes available that's exactly what people would be using it for you get to play i don't know halo when you'd right. be the master chief you know and you're and you're rolling through same thing and so i mean he's absolutely right in pointing that out that that would be a great thing but we also know it's a lie because if there's one thing that we know Quark is doing, it's creating sex programs, and that's that's it. I mean, from the first episode, I feel like that's been clear. And it's always been just kind of one of those things where, like, I mean, why has no one shut him down on some level? Like, what is the, the morality around all that? <laughs> I think the morality is essentially, uh, you know, that it's not real, that at any moment they can just turn it off and that it's, it's private. It's supposed to be intensely private. What you do in the holodeck is your business. And as long as you're not breaking something or really hurting somebody or anything like that, they're not going to invade your privacy. I mean, we even get that on the next generation when we really see for the first time, the use of the holodecks, that it's a, it's a, very private thing and coming into someone's holodeck program without an invitation is you know invasion of a privacy. big no no yeah. yeah it's a big invasion of privacy you know and that's and we, we you brought up you know reginald barkley a little bit ago but i mean when they had to go into the holodeck to get him that was one of the things they kept talking about was how uncomfortable they all felt being in his holodeck program and granted he was you know playing i don't know uh, what was that? Uh, the Three Musketeers or whatever. And, yeah. But, but he wasn't. He wasn't necessarily doing anything illicit with their characters. Sure, he made them kind of cartoonish, buffoonish forms of themselves. But no one was naked and getting, you know, oh, bent not over when they walked in something. there. I mean, I, well, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, and, I mean, and I guess that's kind of what they intimate. But I'm right. saying, like Picard's holodeck program is typically him you know, just aimlessly horseback riding. Right. Worf is the only one that we see by far who has anything that's remotely graphic, and it's mainly him fighting things. Yeah, all it's the time. a training program, which yeah, there's like and, and that's how it's programs. and that's how it's built. That's how it's right. built as a as a training program, not as him as a Klingon needing to get these very violent urges out 
but as a training program. It's not until we come to Deep Space Nine, we see a departure from that, and this technology is used for sex. Right. It's like they, he still has the programs, like and, and, and actually, he doesn't actually get family-friendly programs until the Federation shows up. Remember, when Cisco first heard about Jake going into the holodecks, he was shocked, yeah. to say the least. And he was like, oh, no, 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 you are not going. Yeah. But because he knew he was going to be using the holodeck program where they played baseball or they went fishing or things like that, he allowed it. He allowed right. for his son to go only then. Right. Because even he knew that, hey, the Ferengi are not doing family-friendly. They are no. not. Not at all. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. I think that's an interesting distinction that they made with the technology, but yeah, we can see the difference for right. sure. Right. Yeah. Um, the fact that this Tyrion guy has his own private hollow suite is also brought up briefly. Like he, mm-hmm. he says to Quark that, uh, if this program's worth it, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it off you directly and glad my own to use at home. Yeah. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, like, you have your own hollow suite. And he's like, just something I bought for myself. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> it just sounds like this guy has money from. I mean, it'd be actually kind of interesting to know more about that character because he apparently has something to do with Quark. Um, sounds like he mm. was like some sort of illicit person on some level, like he was a smuggler. I don't know. That's what I was thinking when he first showed up. But when the episode continued on, it was like, okay, is he like just some rich guy? Like he just inherited his money? Is he a businessman? Yeah. What like in some ways, like no. learning more about him, but. Oh, yeah, we got yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure that from his overall, I'm pretty sure from his overall attitude and demeanor, he's some kind of also skeezy dealer who's made his money doing something terrible. Like he's either a drug runner or a gun smuggler or both. Um, you know, I wouldn't put it past him yeah. at all. Yeah. Exactly. Now going back to the scene where the, we have the big reveal when Tyrion goes into the holodeck and we see the lady's body and the legs and all that and it comes up and then boom it's it's cork's head (laughs) so a little bit of behind the scenes trivia for you originally uh so you should know that kira was not involved in that scene in any way originally it had been planned that it would be her body um and that she would be you know in the bed and all that kind of stuff and that when the head sat up it would have been kira but in ferengi you know makeup right so she would have been this weird kind of meshed bajoran it was it was quark's fantasy version of her or something well it was it was supposed to well it was just supposed to be basically nana visitor the actress who plays kira was supposed to be in the ferengi makeup Right. That's that's kind of the whole point. However, it did not happen because, if you remember when we talked about um, last week's episode where Kira had been kidnapped and um, um, had to wear the Bajor, uh, not the Bajor, but the Cardassian prosthetics. I think it was two yes. episodes ago, but yes, yeah. Well, she had experienced such you know intense claustrophobia from having to wear all the makeup and everything that when they tried to do the makeup for her to be in the Ferengi getup, she panicked and freaked out and couldn't do it. So they used a stunt double for the body portion, and then th- that lady is wearing a green helmet head. thing, and so they right. just did a green screen swap over. It works better. It's Quark's better to head. have Quark's head. Yeah. It can also make sense more in terms of the plot, because they could just switch out her physical mm-hmm. appearance for Quark's physical appearance and, and, and head makeup or his, his brain scans or whatever. It's easier to fake that than just... Yeah, so I, I like this version better. Sometimes those yeah. little little things work out. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. I was just I when I found that out, when I found that out, I just kind of cracked up a little bit because I was like, could you imagine just the thought of putting on the rubberized makeup causing you such such a visceral reaction? Like, oh, never mind. You know what? We're going to we're going to green screen this. No, no, don't worry about it. Like, take the day off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. this episode also was one that had several different scenes that were omitted, which also lends back to our theory about this episode should have been a two-parter. There were several things that had been set up to be shot to explain certain aspects of Meridian and Dax and Durrell's relationship. And, you know, just kind of seeing certain things flourish both on um, um, the Defiant and on the planet's uh, surface. But they weren't filmed due to um, time constraints. So it did kind of cut things out a bit. And I think that, as we said, that kind of makes sense as to why we we feel like the episode should have been longer. Right. Actually, while we're talking about that, I want to say that I think part of the reason why I wasn't as into the relationship, the whole Dax relationship, is he is like kind of staring at her a lot of the time. He's not... Who is? Uh, Daryl. Is that right? Am I saying okay. it right? You can... Yeah. Whatever. I don't have the name in front of me. <laughs> anyway, when he like when he first is talking with her, I mean, he's got like his golden things on his head, and he asks her about her spots. Mm-hmm. But he's just kind of looking at her, and I guess that's what it is. It's like you know, ladies don't like being stared at; they like being looked at. <laughs> fair enough, but I, I'm saying like he comes off as just a little bit too forward, almost. Like he doesn't come off as kind of like shy or. See, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the character the beauty. was. That's the beauty of us watching this now. That trope right there that you're talking about of the of this the intense in, the intense yeah. interest right away, the person staring and all that kind of stuff. Right. That is directly related to like eighty. Well, I was going to say eighty percent of '90s television, but it's really all of it. Yeah. Like if you go back and you watch a lot of shows from, especially the early '90s. All of the love interests do that. They have these right. moments where they intensely stare and they're very forward and they sit so close to the other person and there's this seemingly innocent touching and stroking and petting and we're holding each right. other's hands already and, and everybody's just so into it and everybody else around them seems to think that it's it's cute and everybody's right. passing these knowing looks and stuff. Even O'Brien right. does it when they're at the table, you know, and they're talking about do your spots, where how far down do your spots go? And O'Brien just kind of, you know, gives that knowing chuckle, whereas today we'd have been like, that's a wildly inappropriate question to have at the dinner table right. while we're all sitting here eating. Yeah. You're talking about, hey, it, uh, it basically re- you're intimating I want to see you naked. Yeah, you know? it reminded me of the question of how high up do those legs go? It's like, <laughs> right. all the way up? Yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, Where it, they it, stop naturally? Like, I would I, never I know how, how do you answer or- that question? Yeah, I just wish it was more organic. Like, I don't mind that she had a guy that she did share that was interested in her, but I just wish it had been a little organic and therefore the episode being all like, let's climb a tree. And like, she, you know, she mm-hmm. says like, I know I don't like climbing trees because of my, Oh, she didn't say it directly. We know that she's, you know, fell out of a tree as Curzon when he was a kid kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was more organic, but part of the a reason nice, I'm going and that, and that right there is a nice developmental callback. Cause you're, you know, she says that, yeah, I'm afraid of heights. And if you had watched, you know, the episode, was that like the previous episode where we have to go back? Because last yeah. one was the was the station uh, uh, civil defense. Uh, that was civil defense. One. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we find out that you know she fell out of a tree, or Curzon fell out of a tree, and since then you know the Daxes have had a thing about heights. So 
nice little callback there. This right. is the kind of very slow character development that we see um, so rare in right. in most of the Trek shows. It really wasn't until Deep Space Nine that we got to, you know, kind of they do more of that. They give us more of that. And right. as we move more and more into the serialization, we're going to see a lot more of that too. Right. But yeah, I love those little tidbits that are direct links back to episodes that we've just recently watched. Yeah, it's it was smart writing. And and I well, it 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 worked in that sense that they were talking about it, but again, I felt like they fell in love because they climbed a tree. <laughs> it's like a little little uh, come on. Anyway, but I do want to say there was one part of this episode that was absolute pure gold. When Go Cisco it. goes to Dax and says, "Are you sure about this?" And she says, like, I want you to say you're happy for me. Avery Brooks actually was close to crying. Like, the man, I, like, the character yeah. and the and the actor. Like, the actor was playing the part so well. Like, I, like, I wasn't ready to cry because I wasn't quite as into it, obviously. But, like, Avery Brooks was, was damn, he was trying to get me there. The he man was delivers. Working. The man delivers. Like, his voice was yes. trembling. And he looked ready to actually, ha- and, 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 um... What's her face? A Terry Farrell. Like Terry she was Farrell. affected too in the scene. You could tell that she was also mm. ready to cry. And I'm like, I mean, I believe the characters are having this moment because the actors are are playing it to the hilt. It's ama- It was an amazing scene. Like if everything else this episode from this this part of the storyline was kind of bleh, man, Avery Brooks killed it. He made everything in this. This whole episode was worth it for that scene all by itself. That was such a fantastic scene. That I'd be willing so to watch it again just to see it. Just, just yeah. And so I will give you a little bit of backstory uh, for that scene. Um, background, I should say. Um, Terry Farrell points to this episode and that particular scene is one of her favorites. Says that um, in particular, working with Avery Brooks, having such an emotional scene was um, was just kind of a highlight of the episode and kind of the overall season for her. Right. Um, she she says over and over again that in particular. Working with Avery Brooks when they do their scenes where they're, you know, they're not just, you know, commanding Commander. officer and subordinate. They are, you know, old friends. lifetime friends, old right. friends, indeed, you know. And um, even she says, you know, it's rare that a friendship survives, you know, one lifetime. And now I've got, I've had you, the privilege of having you for two, right. you know, Um but yeah, she says that working with Avery Brooks was just great. He's so supportive. He was so helpful to her during these scenes and uh, really got a lot out of her. And and obviously, you know, it works. Right. The scene is a beautiful scene. Like, you're absolutely right. right. It's one yeah. of the few in the episode that you're just like, man, like, that's kind of the emotional impact you wanted the whole A story to have. Right. And it feels like it would have made more sense if we would have seen more of the interaction of those three. Right. Um, Cisco, Dax, and Dural, and watching as Dax kind of leaned more towards Dural and away from her friendship with Cisco and kind of having that whole thing out because it would have been an odd triangle, but it still right. exists right. because they're so close. Right. And then to see that goodbye at the end definitely would have made this a much more impactful episode right. but it still worked this is still a great scene and you're right Avery Brooks yeah. he just he just delivers the man is is not one to you know uh let you leave a scene um right. unfulfilled 
Oh say. yeah, you're, it, it reminds me of what you said. Uh, move along home. I can't believe I'm bringing up move along home. But yes. you said it when yes. he sings the when he sings the little hopscotch ditty. Like he sung the hopscotch ditty, whatever it was. Yeah, I did. forget it now. But like he committed. Yeah, to every, it. everybody else just recites it. Everybody else just recites it. But Avery sings it. If you watch it, Cisco <laughs> sings. Everybody else, even Kira, she was so deadpan when she did hers. She's probably the biggest uh, contrast to Brooks in right. that scene right. but yeah he sings everybody else just kind of recites it and moves right. through yeah and so. i guess i feel like that scene is just another example of i wish that cisco was treated more in the picard sense where it really feels like he is the sun by which everything else orbits you know mm-hmm. captain picard is the center of the enterprise everything revolves yes. around him and unfortunately cisco isn't given Either the the part as the as just a commander or as a character on some level, he's not given that same respect as a character. Um, again, At there's least different. Not yet. Sure, fair enough. Um, and I, but this is a moment where I feel like, I, yeah, Avery Brooks just killed it in that scene, and I, I was saving it to talk about it here near the end because it Go was ahead. so good yeah. that like, I mean, it really did make the episode. Everything yeah. else. It was fine. I mean, again, a plot being kind of mad. He, if that scene had been the only thing I had seen, like if it just started with that scene, if this episode had started there and then like flashbacked, I would have been caught more. I would have been more invested just because that scene was there. Um, <sighs> and I, yeah, no, I, so. I totally agree. I think that you know the as you were saying, like everything kind of orbits around Picard on next generation on the enterprise, you know, Cisco, as, as I've said, you can go all the way back to episode one of our show. Um, Cisco was much more, um, of an observer at first, it took a while for him to kind of like start to get into things with the crew, except for with Dax, because they had that, you know, that previous history, that previous relationship there through Curzon. Um, but, he is the one that, I mean, like, regardless of, of status, you know, captain, commander, whatever it is, he uh-huh. goes to his officers. He's He was there in her quarters. He went to her yeah. when Judzia, and he's always done that. When Judzia was, you know, um, having issues with the symbiote, and they were going to have to go back to Trill. He was there. He took her. He was like, nope, get the Defiant. We're, we're rolling that. It, it wasn't even a question. Right. And he was constantly there to help her. He threatened the whole planet, to, you know, tried to blackmail them for her sake. You know, he has made it very clear that he is very invested personally right. with his, his friends, his crew, everybody, you know, um, he's way more hands-on with that versus Picard, who, I mean, it's not to say that Picard won't go to bat for his crew members, but he does it within the confines of his position and what the law will allow. He figures out ways to save them based upon what he can do according to, again, his position as captain and as, you know, what the Federation law will allow. It would never occur to him to blackmail a whole planet for the sake of data or Troy or anybody like that, you know, the only time we ever really see him come close on that particular on to match on this particular scale would have been when, um, when Wesley fell into the flowers that were on that, um, Eden planet where everybody runs and he was about ready. Yeah. And he was about ready then to, uh, 
violate the prime directive but even then he stopped and he gave you know one of his famously eloquent speeches and uh <laughs> the aliens allow him a pass you yeah, know like so he, he doesn't have to do it or something that was yeah i was gonna really say it's dope. like three or four so yeah yeah I, I don't remember what the episode was called but um my memory isn't that good <laughs> but there we go but yeah i mean as we can see there's a difference there they like cisco has absolutely no problem with being involved personally with his with his crew making them his friends making them almost you know as close to family and i think that if you continue to watch the show you'll pick up on that closeness especially by the end it'll be it'll, it'll be so evident whereas picard was notoriously standoffish with them and doesn't really get that realization that these people are his family until really the tail end of Next Generation. Right. You know, when they're playing cards together for the first time in seven years, first time right. the captains ever sat down at their table. Right. So, you know, I mean, we've already seen Cisco cooking meals for these guys, and yeah. it took Picard seven years to play cards. Right. So, yeah, huge differences. With, yeah. with these men. Yeah, it's a great point you're making. It's like, I was like, no good deed goes unpunished almost. Like, Cisco is the yeah. more warm character, and therefore we should kind of, I don't know, we should feel like we know him a little better on some level. But I, it, on the other hand, it does feel like Picard gets some of the more invested storylines because he's the captain. So Yeah. Yeah. And and again, we're we're only in season three, so I will say, you know, as a person who has seen this show many many times, <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. But I, the thing I like the most is that we get there collectively. It's not just with Picard, and you know, it won't just be with Cisco. We get this with all of the characters. They all get their turn. And so when you finally get to that point where it's you know season six, season seven, you know, you are so invested in all of the characters because you followed along this whole time and watched their increasing development together and seeing how their development relates to each other instead of it being weird standoffs you know where i mean there are certain aspects of next generation where you could watch it and think that certain characters knew nothing of what was going on with the other ones because they were never really involved deep space not on the other hand everybody on some degree is involved even if it's a little bit even if they were just there as a background character sitting in ops or whatever i mean I'm, Bashir is probably my biggest example of that. How many episodes have we watched where he's just there? Right. He might say something or he says hello or whatever, but then he's just he's absent. We don't like he's never really involved in anything else after that, but he stays around. Like it makes sense later on in the show when we get there, but for right now we're kind of like, well, why was he even here at all? But we'll get there is my right. point. Right. Okay. All right. Um well, going, going no. back to, to the Cisco... Oh, yeah. sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was go ahead. Going back to the Cisco got... scene. Um, part of the reason why I thought that was a powerful scene, too, is, like, it almost felt like Terry Farrell was going to leave the show in this episode. Like, I know, obviously, she's not. Mm. But, like, the way they were building it up, like, Cisco here is, like, having a real emotional reaction. She is committing to staying on this planet. Time is ticking down to the end of the episode. I was like, if, if you didn't know, you could have really thought, well, I guess the actress is leaving. Up until the last, like, 60 seconds. Um, I mean, it really felt, in some ways, like maybe the character, the, the actress had decided to leave the show almost. Um, and not because of the way that she was acting, but just because, the, well, they seem to be committing to the storyline. Dax is going. Um, and, again, seeing as how I've had issues with the fact that she hasn't appeared very much, I imagine if you were watching this show for the first time originally, 
you might have almost even thought for a quick second that that was how things were going to go. Um, of course, we know that the usual plot is will end up where we were in some capacity at the end. You know, things will return to normal by the end of the episode. Um, but when she's sitting there, not crying exactly, but just sad, you know, she kind of just slides down um, after Cisco comes back in and tries to, you know, comfort her. Um, I was like... Yeah, it was yeah, like we actually had a moment where Dax Dax's situation in this episode was actually kind of more affected than anything else before, except for like that episode where she goes with the three um, Klingons and fights the, mm. the the what's his face um, the the albino. That's it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I'm glad yeah, it was Dax episode. Right. I just I just feel like. You know, it should be more about her as a science officer, you know, like, yeah, that's what we really need to work on. Make her important to the crew in a more, you know, like more like O'Brien is 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 the guy who fixes this the, the station. Like she says to him, when I come back in 60 years or 30 years, do you think you'll have finished the station? And he's like, nah. And Bashir is our doctor. <laughs> I feel like Dax has just never been given a full place in the crew. <laughs> and, well, no, and that's something that we've talked about a lot, too, in the fact that, you know, Dax and O'Brien kind of compete for, you know, our, our science techie nerd giving us the explanations for things, you know, and so we frequently see them kind of competing for, it almost seems like they're competing for dialogue. And then they're also competing for action for action. And we see them, one of them frequently taken out in order to give the other one space to, you know, act and deliver dialogue and whatever right. uh, civil defense, they split them up, you know, the, O'Brien's with Cisco and Dax is stuck in ops. And even then, they still had to, you know, damage Dax a little so that she couldn't fully work out and solve the problem. And it was left to O'Brien and having to crawl through the Cardassian Jeffries tubes and get blown up, you know. But that was still how they had to, you know, work things through. And they do it all (laughs) the time. And it's kind of annoying because it's like there are moments when. You know, Dax shines on her own when O'Brien shines on her own, but they, it's it's like they the writers are like, well, we can't we can't separate. They don't they haven't learned how to separate yet. Right. Um. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it happens all it happens all the time, and it cracks me up. I'm just like, you know what? You you just need to do an episode where the two of them are together, and then that way it just it'll teach your writers how to write your tech solution stuff and then your high-minded science stuff. You're right. And that's Actually, how you we make haven't had any of them together. There was well, that one None. scene in like season one where they were on a runabout and uh, I think O'Brien, yeah, O'Brien like surprised Dax with something he knew, which was fun, but we haven't mm-hmm. really seen the two of them much interact because you're right, it, they're competing with each other for similar roles and unfortunately Dax is the one who comes out shorthanded most of the time. So Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think people kind of fell in love with the thought of O'Brien being this kind of well-intentioned everyman who gets in there and, you know, he's got his sleeves famously rolled up and he's just in there fixing things. And people just really kind of gravitated towards that. He's not a highfalutin officer. He's a guy who, you know, he works, he does the job, and then he goes, drinks a beer at the end of the day. It was it was more relatable than Jadzia, who is this prim and polished, highly intelligent 
very articulate officer who just she just seems to know everything and then also she seems unflappable like you never really see her truly upset or out of control or anything like that she even walks with her hands behind her back she looks so controlled you know so professional right that it just i think that it made her a little bit more standoffish and it's not until you know we see more development of her character and she kind of you know uh, loosens up a bit right that she becomes, you know, more relatable and then also more popular. And as I've said to you, you know, she's is one of my favorite characters, but I realize more and more as I go through this with you, it's she becomes one of my favorites through later scenes, later interactions. So gotcha. we're getting there, but you kinda you gotta put in the work. We're still early season there. three. Still early season three. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but it's coming. And the thing is it's a surprisingly rapid change. Like it feels so slow, but then all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know what? Dax is Dax is badass, and you're just like, when did that happen? When did she go from being this? Uh, we never see her. Uh, I guess she's just she's just there. To man, she's awesome. It happens. Okay. Stay tuned. Now, before we round this out, we would be completely remiss, and we would piss off so many people if we did not mention the wonderful, awesome, extremely talented Mister Everybody, Mister Ubiquitous himself. Jeffrey Combs, who makes his first Star Trek debut in this episode, playing none other than Tyrion himself, the alien with all the money who wants to buy Kira. That is Jeffrey Combs, and that was the very first time we ever saw him in anything in Star Trek. Now, he will go on to play several characters across multiple Star Trek franchises. Um, Probably the one... Well... There's there's two noted characters, but I'm not going to tell you one because it's Deep Space Nine related and we're just not there yet and I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Um, but the other one is from uh, Enterprise, where he played the Andorian Captain uh, Shran. And um, he he was fantastic in the role. There were so many things in which people were like, we, they wanted a, a Shran spinoff because he was so great. Um, but of course, Jeffrey Combs is always great. Um, again, he's played several different characters in Star Trek. He's played Ferengi. He's played some Dominion characters. He's even on um, Lower Decks as a computer voice, um, a nefarious computer voice, a computer that is uh, attempting to take over the, the galaxy, basically. Right. So, um, yeah, he is... Uh, very famous throughout Trek, but of course he's famous for a lot of different roles that he's had in um, a bunch of different shows and movies. Wasn't he... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the... He, he played... Uh, man, I'm going to ruin this. Um, ah, I can't think of what it was. Sorry. Well, Everybody who's a fan of, of Jeffrey Combs, I totally apologize. <laughs> Um, for not knowing the very first movie that he was in, which was I was, which is what I was trying to think of. Right. Um, but yeah, he did a lot of like Lovecraftian stuff, okay. Lovecraftian films and stuff way back in you know the mid '80s and stuff. I just can't remember that first film. It was great. I remember watching it. it terrified me as well, a kid, I, and I okay. cannot think of what the name of it is. Reanimation, Reanimator. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Yes. I just because I looked him up while you were talking because I was gonna say as you were talking about, it, I was like, he acted through that makeup actually really well. Like yeah. now that I think about it, he had a lot of makeup, even more so than Quark in some ways. Like his nose 
was completely done in a way where like he was breathing off the side of his nose, not like under, but on the side. Um, mm. But yeah, he acted. He acted through that makeup, and I'm seeing a picture here of him and all of the characters he's played on Star Trek. It looks like, and I'm counting mm. eight characters. It looks like, so yeah. He is, he is a very prolific Trek actor. There was actually a poll on Twitter not long ago about, you know, actors who had, you know, played multiple characters. And, you know, he was he was the front runner. However, um, he it, he is not the only person to have done that, to play multiple right. roles. And I believe there is another um, um, there's another actor who's played more roles than uh, Jeffrey Combs in Star Trek. The, and that would be the actor, of course, who played Doctor Mora Pole on right. um, on on Deep Space Nine. He was the, right. the he played the doctor who found um, Odo, and he had played um, several characters was, on TNG, as we talked about when we got, were in that episode. I yes, talking about him, he yeah. played several episodes on TNG. That was actor James Sloyan, and he had played several actors on TNG. He played on Deep Space Nine, obviously, and he was on Deep uh, um, on Voyager as well. Um, yeah, several, several different characters. And so, um, I would say he would give Jeffrey Combs a run for his money as greatest character actor. Cause all of his roles that he played, at least as far as I'm concerned with Star Trek uh-huh. were great. Uh, I think his best one was actually on Voyager when he played the doctor, um, uh, Jatrell who came to the ship, you know, for, you know, try, under the auspicious of trying to help another crew member. Um, but his whole scene, which is basically to reveal that he's dying and seeking penance for his mass murdering past, um, I thought it was great. It's a great standalone episode. You don't have to know anything about him or Trek in general to watch that episode. They give you everything you need to know in that. His history, why it's important to the character that's on the ship, and, and all of it. And it's a great episode, beginning, middle, and end. I give them so much credit on Voyager for that particular episode. And it's a season one episode. Um, so yeah, if you ever are interested, go watch the episode of Voyager called uh, Jitro. And um, it will be, uh, it's it's a great one. It's a great standalone episode. Gotcha. Well, we are almost to the end, but before we go, we have one last bit of housekeeping and special bit of news for David that I have been saving. Um, David has asked. David has asked many, many times when he could watch Star Trek Generations, the first feature film featuring the crew of the Enterprise D. And I can now tell you, David, your time has finally come. You can now watch Generations. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, all right. I was all trying right. to time it. I was trying to time it right, and this is it. Meridian marks the kind of the end of an era for the for. You know, the first part of E-Space 9 and, of course, um, everything involving the Next Generation crew. All their stuff was pretty much wrapped up, and they had just released Generations. The movie was slated to come out in the, in the States next week. So, it's a, so if you go all the way back to 1994, I think it was, um, uh, Generations came out officially for us next week. And it, so it was gotcha. like in between... In between Meridian and the next episode was the premiere. So now is the time for you to go and watch. Gotcha. And uh, you'll be good to go. Will we save that for like a After Dark episode yes. next week? Yes. Okay. We will, All we right. Will 
David will watch the movie. Um, I will. I'll do it. Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah. It's it's on Paramount Plus, as is pretty much everything Trek these days. Um, <laughs> watch it there, and then yes, we will do a special Trek, uh, a special Fire Caves After Dark, in which we will talk about David's reaction to Star Trek Generations. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. The movie's like thirty years old. You should really, really go watch it. Um, I'm I'm eager to see what you think of it. Um, you might want to go back and watch the last episode of Next yeah, Generation okay. and then go watch it. It's not necessarily because it has anything to do with the episode, with the but movie. But just to or remember like what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. To kind of put you back in the, in that mindset that might help you out a bit, but yeah, gotcha. that's what I would say. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Wow. So now Man, of course we have to do our, go ahead. I was say, it's been, it's been over a year since we've done this podcast and I had just finished watching. Well, no, I had just finished watching season three and starting four when we were really first starting this show so it's been yeah. at least a year since i've watched uh tng so yeah it'll be fun to revisit the old crew <laughs> oh yeah well now of course we've got to do a little bit talking about you know new trek of course um lower decks is going strong right now it's the only show that's out that has new episodes at the moment um strange new worlds is not slated to come back until late next year so you've got plenty of time to get started on that show if you want um picard uh, the third season um i believe that also is next year i'll have to double check on that one but i think it's like early next year so like actually like within a couple of months it should be out and available um Discovery, uh, again, it's like later next year. I think they're trying to sync it up to where like you have Strange New Worlds on, you know, Thursday and then you have Discovery on Friday, something like that, which I'm fine with. I am perfectly okay with having like a different Trek a day to watch. I wish they would do that, but um, (laughs) with the way the other shows are staggered, it's really not going to happen. There will be a little bit of an overlap between Lower Decks and, and Picard, but very little and then of course you have the other animated show prodigy is scheduled to come back also i think around like march or something like that so um yeah right now the only thing that you can watch is lower decks and it's just as crazy as i don't know it's like rick and morty but in star trek outfits (laughs) so yeah i enjoy rick and morty I enjoyed it too. I mean, it's it's hard for some people to make the distinction and the separation because it, it's it is Trek, but I mean, they just to me it it's funny because I feel like we have this expectation of what we would be if we were in the Star Trek verse, whereas Lower Decks is kind of the reality of what we would be in the Star Trek verse. We'd be making mistakes, we'd be blowing stuff up, we'd be scared out of our minds as we encounter all these crazy <laughs> alien things. Right. You know, um, and that's basically it. It's it's one anxiety ridden crew member dealing with all of his triggers every episode. So right. enjoy that. Gotcha. But that's it. That will be it for us here at the Fire Caves once again. A little over our time, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Um <laughs> As I say every week, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. This episode was live and will be directly dumped to our YouTube channel as soon as we're done here. Um, I apologize for the technical difficulties in the beginning. but Well, hey, that's mine. Yeah, I apologize. It. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But we got through it, and, uh, you know, no, no big deal. And hopefully next week, if we do this, you know, live again, there won't be any issues. Other than that... 
Take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.